It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. Truly, the Lord's work has given us life and everything we need for life. Therefore, let us pause and ask Him in our hearts for His blessing upon this time of worship, and then we will conclude our prayer by praying together. Let's pray. Father, you know the thoughts and the cares and the concerns that storm about in our hearts. And you know that we need the peace and the refreshment that comes from your Spirit, that we might give you the worship you deserve. Calm and quiet now our hearts, that we might focus upon and bring honor unto you. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Let's stand together. Beloved of the Lord, the Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. Hear now His greeting. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let us sing praise together to the Lord from number 179 in our Psalter hymnal. 179 stands as 1, 2, and 5. Our confession this evening is from the Nicene Creed. You can find that in the back of your blue Psalter hymnal, page 4. Joining our hearts and voices with the church the world over, congregation of our Lord, in whom do you believe? I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven, 
and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceedeth from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spake by the prophets. And I believe one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting. Amen. Our psalm selection this evening is Psalm 138. This is one of David's psalms, and it's a psalm that has three parts. As we read through it, you'll see that the first part is a a testimony, praising God for the deliverance, for the provision that God has given to the psalmist. He moves from there to a confession that the kings of the earth will seek the Lord, that they themselves will acknowledge His greatness and His goodness. And then it concludes with a note of assurance, expressing confidence that the Lord will provide in the future, that He will continue to watch over. This This is Christ's song, isn't it? This is David writing the words of his infinitely greater son, expressing how the father would perfectly provide for him, even in the midst of his most trying moments, as he was preparing to provide for us. But because he humbly sought to do that which the father gave him to do and was empowered to that end by the father's care, Even kings of the earth, even those who formerly mocked and gnashed their teeth, would turn to God and be saved. And therefore, Jesus could confess His confidence in His heavenly Father and in all His plans unfolding. And it's our psalm because it is Christ's song, because of all the... Son did, because of all of his perfect submission to the Father, because of his perfect fulfilling of his Father's will, therefore we are able to trust in God. We are able to be confident that he will provide for us as we humbly submit to him, as we humbly stand before him seeking all that we need from his hand. All of this is wrapped up. This is a a beautiful psalm of the gospel. David writes, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord. For they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. 
You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Amen. Let us sing that psalm as our confession in Christ. We sing from the rendering found in Trinity Psalter Hymnal, Psalm 138, Selection A. As we come before the Lord this evening in prayer, um, we see in our um, announcement bulletin the request for prayer for the work, the church planting work in Ventura, California, and Reverend Adam Kolostian. Um, we need to keep that in prayer. In addition, one um, new concern for our church family. Um, Adam Swan's mom, Gloria, was taken to be with the Lord this afternoon um, unexpectedly. She's been suffering from Parkinson's for quite a while, um, but was doing pretty well. And um, yeah, the, the Lord chose to take her home today. They are members at Heritage Church. So um, please keep the Swan family in your prayers and we'll announce um, funeral preparations when we know them. Beloved, let us pray. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks with our whole heart and proclaim your praise, for with the psalmist we can testify all our needs you have met. And though oftentimes we have found ourselves beyond the end of our own rope, utterly unable to handle the situation before us. You have never let us down. Whenever we have humbled ourselves before you, you have met our needs and you continue to meet our needs. Father, we bring before you today the needs of your church. We pray for the Swan family. Lord, grant them the comfort and the peace that they crave. Enable them to remember the precious promises that you have given and the victory over death that Christ has obtained. Surround them with reminders of your perfect care and give them your grace. 
And likewise, Lord, for all of the needs of your church family. For Dale, the good under uh, recovering from his shoulder replacement surgery. For Dan Van Ens, recovering from his radiation treatment. For Sherry, uh, awaiting healing for her eye. For our loved ones like Beth's mom, Cheryl, and Larry's son, Dan. Lord, we lay all of these before you, along with all of the other needs that weigh upon our hearts, and we confess that you and you alone are able to meet every one of them, and that you will provide for your people as they humble themselves before you and seek your perfect care. But not for ourselves alone do we pray. Father, we long to see As the psalmist foretold, the kings of the earth giving you thanks when they have heard the words of your mouth and have turned unto you. We see the turmoil and the ugliness and the fighting and the war in our world this day. We hear of new war now in the Middle East with Israel and Palestine. We are reminded that we live in a world that is filled with warfare and hatred and fighting. We think too, Lord, of the disagreement, the division, the hatred within our own land, along political lines, along racial lines, along worldview lines. And we know that there is no political philosophy that can overcome it. There is no wise leader who can rise up and fix it all. But you are greater than our greatest struggles. We lay before your throne the woes and the sorrows of this nation and of this world. And we confess, Lord, that Christ alone, in his sovereign power and exercise of authority, is able to overcome all of these troubles and woes. And so, Lord, we pray that you would allow his gospel to be proclaimed boldly and broadly throughout this world. We thank you for the work that's been raised up in Ventura and for the labors of Brother Colostian. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue to raise uh, or to use the, the proclamation of the gospel that our brother is bringing there, that you would continue to nurture and strengthen those who have come and to draw those who have yet to come. And we pray that you would multiply such works throughout our land, here in Michigan, throughout the U.S. and throughout the world. Cause your gospel to go forth with great power. Raise up men to serve you as ministers, as elders, and as deacons. Call in those who are ordained to love and serve you. Men and women, young and old, teach them to boldly confess that their sin leaves them miserable and empty, but that Christ and He alone rescues from sin and provides assurance of eternal life. Enable us, all of us who have turned to your Son, to proclaim boldly the confidence of Psalm 138, That though we walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve our lives. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of our enemies and your right hand delivers us. You fulfill your promise for us. Your steadfast love endures forever toward us. Lord, we pray that you would cause your people in every place where they have gathered this day to go forth boldly confessing that confidence. So that whether we're looking to you for hope in the face of death, for sustenance in the face of hunger, for peace in the face of strife, or for any other need that presents itself, we might show the world that all our hope and all our help are bound up in your Son, Jesus Christ, And that we are able to rejoice and to celebrate even in the face of the worst of this world's woes. Knowing 
that you who loved us enough to send your Son will not stop short of providing for our every need. Father, you have brought us today to this place of rest. You know the cares, the sorrows, the trials, the challenges that face us throughout the week. You know the doubts and the worries and the fears with which some wrestle. But Lord, we know that even as you have brought us to this place of rest and worship today, so you have assured us you will overcome every trial, every struggle, every sorrow, every hardship, that we might enjoy the eternal Sabbath in Christ when we go to be with you through death or when Christ comes back to make all things new. We pray that you would speed the day of His return and the fullness of the revealing of all that Christ has accomplished. But until then, Lord, sustain us, strengthen us each one in our faith and enable us, equip us to minister to one another, Lord, Reminding each other of where our hope is found and of how trustworthy is the one in whom we have placed our hope. Be with each one of us in the week ahead, Lord. No matter what challenges we face, teach us to look unto Christ, to rest in your sovereign care, and to remember that because of what Jesus has accomplished we have the utmost confidence. Now, Father, we pray all of this with thanksgiving for your love and your care, for your faithfulness that extends beyond what we can fathom. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, as we prepare to look to God's Word and what it says concerning our provision and how God perfectly cares for the needs of both body and soul. Let's stand and sing together a psalm that so powerfully and lovingly reminds us of His care as our faithful shepherd. We sing together Psalm 23, Selection A from our Trinity Psalter Hymnal. 23A. Our text this evening is Lord's Day 50 from our Catechism. But before we look to the question and answer we find there in Lord's Day 50, which focuses on the petition of the Lord's Prayer, Give us this day our daily bread. 
I'd like to read two brief passages with you. The first from Jeremiah 17, the second from Matthew chapter 6. Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 8. The prophet writes, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Amen. Two different ways. Trusting in man versus trusting in the Lord. And then looking to Matthew 6. Jesus sort of expands upon that idea of trusting in the Lord and the need that we have for doing that. Starting in verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these." But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Amen. Now, Lord's Day 50, summarizing many such passages, admonishing us to trusting in the Lord, asks, what does the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer mean? Give us this day our daily bread means provide for all our physical needs so that we may recognize that you are the only source of everything good and that neither our care and work nor your gifts can do us any good without your blessing. Therefore, may we withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it in you alone. Amen. Beloved of God, through Jesus Christ, the fourth request of the Lord's Prayer actually marks a turning point in the Lord's Prayer. Up until this point, Jesus has taught us to pray for things that set God before our eyes, His glory, His kingdom, His will. But with this fourth petition... Our attention shifts to the mirror. Now we consider our bread, followed by our sins, and then by our spiritual well-being. You see, we needed to set the attention first upon God. Otherwise, we would never turn away from ourselves. But now that we have sought first the kingdom of God and His glory, Jesus teaches us to seek carefully and in faith, that which we ourselves need. And we begin by asking our Father for our daily bread. That's a big deal. Because, as we're going to see, what Jesus is setting before us is our essential, underlying necessities. Not 
so that we can inform God of something he is unaware of. God is omnipotent or omniscient. He knows everything we need even before we know it. He knows it better than we know it. But Jesus teaches us to set before God our most basic needs because we need to remember where our hope is found. In a world where everyone is pulling themselves up by the bootstraps or looking to men who profess the ability to uniquely provide for your needs, to do it better than everybody else, to have the perfect system to make sure that you will never again be in want, God reminds us, I am the one who needs to provide you with your most basic necessities every moment of every day. And so he really sets before us this reminder that we are merely children. We are merely children looking to the hand of our Heavenly Father for every tiny necessity. And that's really our theme. God's children ask their Father for life's necessities. Now as we consider that, What we really need to ask is why. Why are we praying this petition? Why are we expressing this prayer? And we're going to see three reasons for this petition. And the first of them, the first reason God's children must ask their Father for life's necessities is to reveal our absolute need. But in order to see that, to see really the reasons for our prayer, we need to start by looking at the petition itself. When Jesus gives that petition in Matthew 6, verse 11, he uses a unique word order that seems helpful. We're going to take a minute and look at that petition in the order that he gives it, because I think it highlights a few things that are really helpful about what we're called to pray here. It starts out with the object, the bread. The bread. That's the first thing he says in this petition, and that's important. Bread is a staple. It is an essential food in absolutely every culture. Now, its form varies widely, from rolls to loaves to pitas to tortillas, you name it. There's all kinds of different forms, but the essence is the same. It's crushed up grain mixed together into a dough and baked. And as such, bread is an essential part of the diet of pretty much every culture. And that means it is representative of our most basic and essential physical needs. So we're not asking here for luxuries. We're not asking for something above and beyond. We're asking for essentials that we need to sustain us. And yet even that is asking a lot, isn't it? Young people, you, many of you have studied some economics. You've studied some civics. You know something of all of the interrelated systems within society, when you're asking God to provide for bread, what are you really asking? You're asking that He would bless your agricultural systems, those who grow the wheat and the barley and the rye that will become your bread. You're asking for blessing on the business and the economics for those who, who gather and transport and process all of those grains into the flour and who make that flour into either something you can buy in the store or a loaf of bread that you can obtain. You're asking for a blessing upon your own work by which you gain the income so that you can purchase either that flour or that bread. All of that goes into putting bread on our table. And that's only the start, because that bread is representative. It's representative of the meat and the potatoes and the vegetables that also serve to nourish us and strengthen us. It's representative of all the other physical needs that we have for our clothing, for our housing, for our health. And not just our physical, but also our spiritual Because bread is so basic and essential a substance, it stands as representative of all of the stuff that we need to live, both physically and spiritually, before God. The bread 
But not just the bread, our bread, which is the next word. We're asking specifically for the bread that God has allotted to me, to us. Not the bread that he has allotted to the rich, not the bread that he has allotted to the poor, but the bread that God has ordained for us, for my family, for my people, according to what God has ordained. Daily. Our daily bread. We're to ask not for the bread in the coming year or the coming month, but that we might learn to depend upon God with absolute continuousness. Each day anew, we are called to set before God that same request, meet the needs of my body, of my family this day. For the bread, for the clothing, for the health, for the strength, for the work, for the safety, for the all. Recognizing anew each day that we stand utterly and completely dependent upon our Heavenly Father. And then the verb, give. Give. We don't make it a demand, an imperative. But it comes rather in the form of a plea. We saw that looking at how God provided for his people out in the wilderness. Initially, they made it a demand. Give us bread! We're hungry! We're out of food! And Moses rebuked them, did he not? And he said that God would provide bread, not a whole shipment of bread or of baking supplies so that they could rely upon themselves to portion it out appropriately, but each day so that they would learn to rely on Him daily. Each day, each morning, waking up and pleading for that which they would need for the moment. You see, God wants us to recognize that we're dependent on Him and therefore trustingly, lovingly to call out to Him for that which we need. The world, they make a demand. Give us what we demand. But in doing so, they're relying on their strength. They're relying. All of the worshipers of false gods do the same thing. They make a demand. They seek to manipulate their God, either by force of arms or by bribery. But we come knowing that we could give nothing to God that would be of... I mean, what can we give Him? Everything we have is from Him, right? It all belongs to Him. There's nothing we can do to bribe Him or to pay Him or to impress Him. All we can do is, as little children coming to the foot of their Father, say, please give to me that which I need. And not I alone. Because right after the verb, the indirect object to us You see, we don't pray this alone. We pray as part of the family of God, as part of the church. Christ calls his disciples to pray together for their daily need, recognizing that sometimes the way God provides is through our brothers and sisters. Sometimes he allows one to lack so that another can supply out of his abundance. Sometimes he he causes one to struggle so that another who has been made strong can lift his brother up. We seek this help together and we do it again today. Not worrying about tomorrow, not worrying about next year, but recognizing that just as God has every day up to this point provided precisely what we need, so he will from this point forward continue to meet our every need Do not be anxious about tomorrow, Jesus says. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the plea that Christ sets before us. That through it we might understand our absolute need. The question is, who needs to do that? Who needs to pray this prayer? Psalm 145 answers that just beautifully. When it says, The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. 
You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. There is no man, no woman, no child. There is no creature in all of God's creation that is not 100% dependent upon God for absolutely everything they need. And in His mercy, the Lord assures us He is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear Him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love Him. It doesn't matter how much you know. It doesn't matter what other people think of you. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your work is, what your education is. If you seek the help of the Lord, He promises to provide. And when we ask, when we pray, when we knock at that door, what happens? We are made to recognize our absolute need, our need for God, for His gifts, for His provision, the continuousness of our need, that every day anew we stand in need of His help. But not only do we recognize it, we reveal our absolute need. When we pray this prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Our children come to recognize. As much as they look up to Dad, as much as they respect Mom, Dad and mom are not enough. As much as they think highly of their elders and their deacons, those deacons are not in themselves sufficient. We reveal to our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers when we pray at our lunch break, give us this day our daily bread and we give God thanks for the food before us. We confess to them, I don't think I'm all that. I don't think I'm sufficient apart from God. We confess to the world, I am weak and unworthy. It is God who meets my every single need. And of course, that's essential. Psalm 145 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And therefore it concludes, My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. It is our calling, it is our purpose to reveal to the the world the greatness and the glory of the Lord. And when we pray this, when we reveal our absolute need, we reveal to the world He is the one who gives us absolutely everything we need. However, when we reveal that need, when we make that confession, we're not rubbing Aladdin's lamp. Perhaps it goes without saying for most of us, but we do well to be clear that there are some things we do not mean when we pray, give us this day our daily bread. This petition asking our Father for life's necessities is not a get-out-of-work-free card, right? We can't pray this and then go on vacation, not work, not do our allotted tasks. As though in praying that we had won some divine lottery. Praying this is not an excuse for our laziness or for our failures. Sometimes we do fail. We make an investment that falters. We attempt something and it doesn't work out. And God doesn't promise to perfectly shield us from all that. Sometimes there are lessons in those failures that He has ordained to teach us. But, while this prayer is not some magic incantation that will ensure that there are no consequences for misbehavior or failure, it is a plea that God will overcome our weakness. And so that's our second point. We ask God to prosper our weak efforts. We need to understand well. Children, you need to understand well. Absolutely everything we have is from the hand of God. All our gifts, our possessions, our stuff, whether it be your tools and your toys or your your ingredients by which you bake a loaf of bread or the wood by which you build a house. Whatever it is that you possess is from the Lord and also that which you use to make it productive. All of the talents, all of the abilities, all of the knowledge and insight, all of that is from the Lord. 
God is even the one who gives us the opportunities and the energy to both use what He's given and to improve upon it. God's the one who allows us to take the knowledge we have and gain knowledge that we don't yet have. God's the one who allows us to take this, uh, this kind of a spark of a talent and through practice and through study and through discipleship turn it into a great ability to do magnificent things that few others can do. God's the one who enables us to improve upon what He has granted to us. However, none of that is enough. Not the stuff, not the talents, not the ability to improve upon it. None of it is enough without God's blessing. In Deuteronomy 8... Moses warned the people. Remember, Deuteronomy is spoken to Israel just as they're about to go into the promised land. When they go into that promised land, when they cross over the Jordan River, they're going to come into a land filled with rebellious and wicked people whom God will use them to judge. And then they will take possession of all of that stuff. Beautiful cities that they did not build. Productive farms that they did not develop. Crops that they did not plant. Vineyards that they did not cultivate. And he says, take care lest you forget the Lord your God. Because what's going to happen? You're going to go there, you're going to get all of this stuff, and you're going to give God thanks for all that. But then you're going to start using it. The manna is going to dry up. No more bread from heaven. No more big clouds of quail. To stock your freezers with. No, no. You're going to go out and you're going to pick those grapes. You're going to harvest those crops. You're going to use the tools that you find in those cities to make a nice living for yourself. And you're going to be tempted, Moses says. You're going to be tempted to say, look at what my hand has done. Look at what I have accomplished. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have given me this wealth. We're tempted to that. You do a good day's work. You accomplish a task that's bigger than anyone you've ever done yet. You look at it and it looks relatively flawless. And you think, I did that. Look at what I did. I need to put a picture of that on a brochure. I'll get lots of work. You want to market yourself and tell everybody, look at how talented I am. But he says, beware. Because, verse 18, you shall remember that the Lord your God, it is He who gives you the power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is this day. It is God who gave you all of those resources. It is God who gave you those talents. It is God who blessed you in the use of those talents. And without God, you could have done none of this. We need to remember quite well The admonition of Psalm 127, verse 1, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. That message is as profound as it is simple. God is saying all your work, all your effort will be for absolutely nothing unless God puts His blessing upon it. What did we hear from Jeremiah 17? Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength whose heart turns away from the Lord. If you trust in men, whether in yourself or in someone else, it will let you down. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. All his effort will count for nothing. God will curse all of his work, all of his talent, all of his attempts. Why? Because he gave credit to him rather than to to the one who really blessed him. But on the other hand, But on the other hand, when we trust in the Lord, what did Jesus say about birds and flowers? How carefully do birds plant their crops and store up their seed? They don't. They don't do it at all. The lesson there is not 
don't save up for a rainy day. It's not don't plan for the future. The lesson is if God cares for the birds who don't even do that, how much more those of us who recognize that all that we have has been given by Him and who with our eyes upon Him, with our prayer, seeking His blessing, carefully employ that which He's entrusted to us. If God cares for the birds of the heavens who aren't made in His image, who haven't been given the privilege of showing the world the character of Christ, how much more will He care for you? And, and the flowers of the field, they're beautiful. They make Solomon look plain despite all of his finery. Now, if God so cares for the grass of the field which is there for a moment and then withers and becomes fertilizer for the soil, how much more you who bear His image and His glory. But it comes only. It comes only through the blessing of God. You see, He wants us to focus on where our trust must be placed We mustn't focus, we mustn't trust in our hands or our efforts. We mustn't trust in those impressive people who surround us or those great people who are over us. We must trust always and only on the Lord. He's the one who entrusts it all to us. He's the one who blesses us in the use of it all. And He is the one who deserves all the glory. Because even though our efforts are weak, even though our wisdom is very limited, our God's Power is absolutely without bound. We pray this prayer to remind ourselves and to testify to others, it is God who has made us to prosper. If you completed that job well, all the glory goes to God. If you learned that lesson and improved your understanding, all the glory goes to God. If you were able to help someone, inspire someone, comfort someone, it is God who blessed your feeble efforts. To God be all the glory. And then finally, we pray this petition to strengthen our childlike trust. And that's our final point, but it's essential. You see, our old nature is idolatrous. We read the Old Testament and we see how often and how easily God's people turned to the worship of idols. You ever shake your heads? At that, like, seriously, guys, how could you be that dumb? I mean, granted that there's a lot of time wrapped up in these stories, but, I mean, it was your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents that saw him open up an entire sea so that you could go through the middle of it and then stop up the Jordan River at flood stage so you could walk through. There's a pile of rocks in the middle of the river to remind you of it. You, you heard, I mean, you can see the rubble from Jericho where the walls fell down flat so the people could walk right on in. And now you're going to worship some idol on a hill somewhere? Are you dumb? Well, no more than us. No more than us. John Calvin said, the human heart in its sin is a factory of idols. What he meant by that is left to ourselves, our hearts will naturally create false gods. Now, he was pointing specifically to the Catholic Church. But in pointing to the Catholic Church, who knew better, who had the Bible, who had the evidence of Christ's resurrection from the dead and all of the miracles that he did and all the testimony of the prophets... Surely he was speaking about all of mankind, that we are tempted toward idolatry, which is placing our trust in something or someone other than the true living God. This world is filled with idolatry. It's not limited to ancient Canaan and Egypt and Babylon of old. Idolatry surrounds us here in modern day America. Look around you. Look on the TV, read the paper, turn on the radio or the internet. And there it is. You show me a problem that faces mankind, and someone is selling a false god to fix it. Our environment supposedly is in crisis. Oh, the sky is falling, the temperatures are climbing, uh, climate change is on the way. But we can fix it. 
We've got to limit our carbon output. We've got to tax our businesses. We've got to let the the bright people over in Paris figure it out. No. That's a scam, every bit of it. It's a false god that sets the environment over man, that puts supposedly wise, environmentally sound men over society, when in fact it is God who simply spoke and the world came into being, who created the majestic mountains and also the amazingly complex cells that form absolutely everything that exists, who cursed the world one, at one point to cover it with water, destroying everything that had breath in its lungs except for Noah and his family and the animals that God put on the ark that he built who utterly transformed the layout of the entire world with that flood, the evidence of which surrounds us on every continent, on every land, in every age. If there is a crisis to the climate, do you think he is insufficient to care for it? The very thought is laughable. Now that's an obvious Example, but it's hardly the only one. How many idols got a great jump start during the so called COVID crisis? How many idols have taken off running during the war on terror? We look around us, and there's all sorts of crises, there's all sorts of things that cause us to want to wring our hands in worry and fear, the violence of our youth, the cheapening of life, the division that has long plagued our land, the continual decay of morality. And our world, with every one of those crises, looks to men and raises them up as false gods in whom you must trust if you're going to fix it. But that's not the answer. And folks, it infiltrates the church. Several times now, I have witnessed what happens to a church that faces significant crisis. I haven't been involved in all of them, but the Reformed world's kind of small, isn't it? And every time there is a massive crisis, the voices start almost immediately. If this church is going to survive, it needs to call on this expert. It needs to take this path. That's the only way the church is going to survive. If the church is going to make it, it can't do that. It's got to do this instead. This is the only... No. False gods. Idols, everyone. The only way the church will survive is if the children of God fall to their knees before their father and seek his help. The only way your children will thrive, the only way your marriage will survive, the only way your business will endure, the only way we will make it day by day is if we as children fall to our knees before our Heavenly Father and acknowledge His help is what we need. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Don't seek first the leading expert, the newest method. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Because anything else is resting in men. And making flesh our strength. And if we do that, we're no different than that tiny, spindly, barely hanging on little shrub out in the desert that's just clinging to the sand-streaked rock, producing absolutely nothing of value. But if we turn to the Lord, expressing childlike trust in Him, 
And my friends, it doesn't matter what comes to us. It doesn't matter what falls upon us. It doesn't matter what the crisis looks like. We'll be like that tree with its roots down in the cool, refreshing water. There's famine all around. There's hot winds blowing and decaying those bushes out in the wilderness. But our strength comes from the Lord, the living water of Christ. So even in the midst of drought, we will produce fruit that points to Him. Why? Because He's our Father. Because we're resting in Him. And because He will never fail to heed the cry of His people. Give us this day our daily bread. Young people, don't ever underestimate the significance of what you're asking when you pray that. You're asking the Lord for absolutely everything you need for body and for soul this very moment. Revealing your absolute need for what He alone can give. Praying that He will prosper your admittedly weak efforts. And as you see Him answer, strengthening your childlike trust in Him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, there is so much in this world that tempts us to fear, to worry, to doubt, and to trust in men. But you have taught us to trust instead in you, acknowledging that we are but children, whereas you are our Heavenly Father, perfectly able to provide for all our needs. Teach us to rest in you alone, acknowledging our weakness, but relying wholeheartedly on your strength and on your grace. We ask this now in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. When we pray this prayer, we have to acknowledge we won't always understand God's answers. Sometimes the way He provides is not what we envisioned. But we need to trust Him, that He knows what's best and that He will lead to the way that is best. And we confess that in Song 461, hymn 461 from our Psalter hymnal, God moves in a mysterious way His wonders to perform. Let's sing all the stanzas. offering this evening is for the work of Dave Means. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have raised up our brother to bring forth the gospel, both in the works that he has been blessed to write and in the ministry within the prisons 
Father, we pray that you would bless this outreach and that you would use our offering as a source of encouragement. And Lord, we pray that all these gifts that we bring might bring honor and glory unto you as we give them acknowledging that you are the king, that you are the perfect provider, and that it is in you that we trust. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Our offering song this evening is number 207. It's a rendering of Psalm 104. 207 will sing stanzas 3 through 7. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.